Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. (laughs) <laughs> yes, right. Money Making Conversation. You're listening to it. And I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. Each Money Making Conversation talk show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment. I provide the consumer and business owner access to interviews with celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs and industry decision makers. It is important to understand that everybody travels a different path to success. That is because your brand is different. The challenges you face in your life are different. So stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. Now, you can be motivated by their success because their stories can offer direction and help you reach your goals through your planning and your committed effort. The Money Making Conversation interviews provide relatable information to the listener. That's you about career and financial planning, entrepreneurship, motivation, leadership, overcoming the odds and how to live a balanced life. My next guest is on the phone. He is the 14th winningest manager in Major League Baseball history. He began his Major League Baseball career in 1968 as a teammate to the speedy Ralph Gar. That's my man right there. And the legendary slugger Hank Aaron. But we're on the show today to discuss his life as an entrepreneur. He's the founder and president of Baker Energy Team. He's the founder and president of Baker Family Wines, which I found out when I was reading the Houston Chronicle, and the founder and chairman of the board of Cool Baker Global, along with my man, Robert Cool Bell, who's the founder and president of Cool Baker Global. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, the current manager of the Houston Astros and wine entrepreneur, Dusty Baker. <laughs> good morning. Good morning. How you doing? Hey, Dusty, I had to get it all out, man. I had to get it all out about you, man. You hey, know. man, you're good. You didn't miss a beat, man. I got to get it. <laughs> well, you know, let, let, let's talk about you as a person because I got to say some things about that are very personal to me. Because when you're in a business, there are only two African-American managers that are currently in Major League Baseball. That's Dave Roberts of the Dodgers and yourself. And, you know, when you grow up in a community and you look, you are a uh, icon. You are a... Um, a leader. You are a person I consider a blessing in my life because you're doing some things that are unique in this business and you've achieved high levels of success in a business that very few of us have achieved an opportunity to participate. And that's nothing negative. That's just how life plays itself out. And with that being said, when I when I make statements like that and 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 uh, I'm an African-American man, a person of color, how do you react to that? Do you do you feel the the the, the, the what you've accomplished in your life and the impact that you made to individuals like me and people you make a, in, the, in, the, in the game of baseball, a game that you just started playing because you loved and made a living out of it? Well, you know, people tell me about it, but I don't really think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think about living my life and trying to do the best I can for for the community and my family. Right. And, uh, you know, my dad was, you know, my little league coach. He was very, Bobby Bond's little league coach from Riverside, California. My dad was a, you know, deacon in the in the church. My mm-hmm. mama was in the, in the choir. So, like, we were, you know... Uh, uh, raised, you know, to be community minded, right. and uh, I'm the oldest of five. My dad worked uh, two jobs for 35 years, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, my mom went back to school at 40 years old, and uh, you know, got her degrees. And uh, but my dad was a common sense, hard working guy who who was an entrepreneur himself, but it didn't really, 
you know, nobody used those terms back in the day. Right. You know, my dad had, you know, my dad had rent house. Right, you know, right. Fixed them up and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like he was, he, you know, he'd do anything. He was just hustling, as they say. Well, he was just a hustler. He was a hustler. Yeah, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, my dad tacked roofs. I was with him all the time. My dad, you know, he did gardening. My dad did, uh, you know, whatever it took to, you know, to make some extra change. Uh, and, you know, how I got into to farming, you know, most, most of us were farmers in the past that right. we've forgotten about farming. We were forced to farm back in the day. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my dad, uh, uh, you know, we always had a garden. I got a garden now because you feed your family, you know, out of the garden. And so, uh, you know, my, my roots started a long time ago. I didn't like it. I didn't like doing all that hard work out there in that hot sun. But uh, it paid off because I'm passing that on now to, you know, my daughter and son the way that my dad passed it on to me. You know, it's really interesting that there's so many terms that we use nowadays, branding, entrepreneurs, you know, when, when when I was growing up in the 60s and 70s and, you know, those terms wasn't shared in our community like that. You know, we were just trying to right. work, you know, whether an entrepreneur is somebody who's cutting grass every week, an entrepreneur, <laughs> you know, these were entrepreneurial duties that we were doing, but we didn't know what the title was. We were just out there trying to make money to put food on the table. Now we realize when I, when I listen to you, the structure of who you are today besides a baseball player was given to you by your father and your mom, your father being an entrepreneur. And you saw how he was able to make money outside of the 40-hour week schedule. That was really important, correct? Well, I was very, I was very correct. But see, uh, also there's another part here that came into play uh, I signed out of high school against my dad's permission. I had a number of football and basketball mm-hmm. scholarships, none mm-hmm. in baseball, and I was drafted by the Atlanta Braves, which I prayed that 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 I didn't go, I wouldn't go to the South. This was in the '67. Absolutely, '68. You know, '67. Oh, excuse me, '67. Tough time. That was mm-hmm. a tough time all over the country, mm-hmm. especially in the South. And me being from California, I prayed, Lord, please don't let me get drafted by the Atlanta Braves. But mm-hmm. that was the best thing. You know that happened to me because that's when I met Ralph Gar. We were in the same draft, and that's when when Hank Aaron promised my mother that that if I signed out of high school, he would take care of me as if I was his own own son. Absolutely. So I came back home after that summer playing baseball, a couple of weeks playing baseball, <laughs> and my dad took my contract to court. He was trying to nullify my contract because he wanted me to go to college, right, and and play basketball. And mm-hmm. so the state of California they couldn't nullify it, so the state of California was a trustee over my affairs and my bonus money till I was 21 years old. And my mm-hmm. dad and I didn't, I mean, he was my main man. We didn't speak for three <laughs> years because, you, know, you know, that I'm 18 now, I, I'm grown, I can do what I want. But right. see, what happened was my dad uh, in California put my money into IBM stock and to uh, uh, Oil, California. Wow. And that was, and, and, and now there's Chevron. So now uh, when I got to be 21 years old, you know, between 18 and 21, here I was watching my little, my little uh, money in the stock market and it tripled. And I was like, that's when I first started, uh, you know, watching the stock market, you know, through no, no, uh, 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 you know, it wasn't me that did it. Right, your dad. And later on in life, I ended up being a stockbroker for a year in 87. And then my brother went to school. He was uh, certified in, 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 in CFP and, and insurance and stocks and all kind of stuff. So you never know, you know, which way the Lord is going to take you. Uh, and it took me in a way where, like I said, I was upset with my dad. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to do my own thing. But as it turned out, <laughs> 
you know, these things help me, you know, later on in life. Well, you know, that's that's why it was important for me to bring you on the show, because these are the stories that, you know, you don't, you know, success is interesting because of the fact that when you bring up Hank Aaron and Hank Aaron, if anybody doesn't know, they know he's the all time home run leader and all that stuff, broke the record of Beirut. But he's an amazing entrepreneur. This man yes, he right is. here has got so much going on in the city of Atlanta and surrounding areas as an entrepreneur. That's where he's making all his money. That's where he's winning. Well, see, he motivates me. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he's always motivated me on the field and off the field. And, you know, I remember when Hank, you know, had, you know, had Hank Aaron BMW in Atlanta. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where he met Mr. Moorhead, Tom and uh, Tom Moorhead, who, who, who both of them uh, are are my partners and invested some money in Baker Family Wines about a year, a year, year and a half ago. Right. And so uh, this is how things come full circle. And, you know, Hank had Krispy Kreme. Hank has a, a number, I don't know, he has a number of Popeye's chickens. Yes, he does. Uh, 20 or 21. And, mm-hmm. he, and, he, and he donates a whole bunch, you know, back to the community, you right. know, which is, which is how... I was raised and how I was taught and how I'm raising my kids that, mm-hmm. you know, the Lord says, you know, like those that water get watered and those yes. that are generous, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, have generous friends. And so, like, I'm afraid not to give now, you know, because of, of, of how blessed I've been right. in, in, in my life. I mean, it hadn't always been easy. I mean, there were times when I was almost broke, but the Absolutely. Lord always delivered me and, uh, uh you know, some kind of way, something always came through to, you know, to put me back on top, which is indicative of my career and my business at the same time. Let's talk about, so you're living a life of multiple streams of income, which I always talk about on money-making conversations. And let's talk about the Baker Family Wines, because I was reading, like I said, I live in Atlanta. I'm a homegrown. I'm born and raised in Atlanta, in Houston, Texas, by the way. Born in Fifth Ward, grew up in went to Forestbrook, graduated from University of Houston, got a degree in mathematics, uh, went to IBM, pursued a career as a stand-up comic, and the rest is history. Now I'm on the phone talking to you with my platform money making conversation, the Steve Harvey's of the world, the Stephen A. Smith's of the world, the Jamie Foxx of the world, Monique, all these people. Man, you got a resume. <laughs> all these people. You know, the thing that I, I now let's talk about the family wines. My wife loves wines. Okay, I started out, you know, like I, I bought a piece of property years ago in Sacramento. Mm-hmm. So I moved from San Francisco to Sacramento. So right. I had a, I was on the uh, 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 Robert Mondavi uh, advisory board, and I'd go to uh, uh, dinners and lunches with their with their distributors, Canadagua, Southern Wine and Spirits, and stuff. And so I had a couple extra acres that I was going to build a pond on, mm-hmm. and uh, told me I would flood my neighbors because it was on like a slope. Right, and so what else to do with it? So I, I called, uh, you know, Robert Mondavi, and 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 I and I said, hey man, do you know anybody that you can help me, um, uh, you know, plant my rootstock and my stakes and my my wires and all this? And he goes, yeah. He says, I got a guy, Chick Brenneman, and so uh, fourteen years ago, we planted a little gentleman farm uh, here that produces about mm, sixty to eighty uh, cases. And uh, and every time I lose a job, uh, that's when I start a a business. These these things come to me, and right. that's how I. Uh, and then I was giving it away to some of the brothers here in Sacramento, and they're like, "Man, this is good." <laughs> I said, really? <laughs> so 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 that's how we got started. And and see, my guy, you know, uh, Chick Brenneman, my my winemaker, you know, the head in research at the uh, at the winery UC Davis. He just retired. 
and uh, UC Davis, one of the premier viticulture and mm-hmm. and oncology institutes and the institutions in the world. Right. And so that's how we got started, uh, and then we grew from Desiree on my property, and then we buy grapes. Uh, we have Sauvignon Blanc. We have a prop mm. prop white. Um, that's a, a, a combination of Simeon and 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 um, and. Um, and uh, Sauvignon Blanc, we got a Pinot that's coming. We got Albarino that's coming. Uh, we have the Hank Aaron Cabernet that's supposed to come in August. <laughs> or- and then I got my 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 grapes, my Syrah grapes from my property. We got right. a Russian River Syrah, right? A Russian Zin, and a proper red that's a that 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 I like a lot. That's a combination of Barbera, Sangiovese, and Petit Syrah. So you know we got a. You know, we're a small oh. boutique winery. Oh, you oh, you got, got it going on now, Dusty. Don't, 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 don't well, shame yourself. Well, you know, we yourself. got about a thousand cases. And, there you, you know, go. People like it. There you go. Yeah, 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 people like it. Well, so I'll just uh, tell you this about my wife. She's a, as she likes to say, a wine connoisseur. I, I did a big mistake one time, Dusty. <laughs> she has a boot. She has this little boot. You can just like a big wire boot. And she would, yeah. and I didn't know. It would just be like a little corks in there. And that, and over the years, she always had it. I see. And How I would. How she got it? All, I'm, I'm just tell you the sad story. You're going to go sad now, Dusty. Yeah. About to go sad. Yeah. I didn't. I don't drink wine, but she loves yeah. good wine. And one day, man, I just came home and went, just threw that whole, all, just threw all the corks away. You did? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something, Dusty. Oh, Lord, I'm going to tell you Dusty. She did not speak like to me. like a trophy case. Dude, it like a trophy dude, case, you know. Dude, I didn't know, Dusty. I didn't know. I was stupid. I was stupid. Man, she didn't speak to me for a long time, brother. She did I, I hey, know that. i tell you one thing. Hey, man, that, this growing wine, I mean, it's a lot of work. Yes, sir. I mean, it's a lot of work. I'm out there almost daily, but it's it's uh, it's uh, very spiritual and it's very mm-hmm. relaxing. You awesome. know, and now yeah. I see why my dad was always out in the garden because, you know, he'd come home work from work and go right to the garden. So that's what I, you know, so I said, that's what I do every day. My wife brings me some water out and uh, my son, uh, you know, works with me out there. So I'm, I'm trying to teach him and, that's you know, awesome. Baker Family Wines is, is, is. One thing I've noticed in my conversation is that when you see an opportunity, Dusty, you examine it and you try to see it through. You just don't just so shy away from something just because that's not your skill set. Is that that's just that's a quality in you, correct? Well, you know, cuz I was always uh, you know, was told by my parents and don't be afraid of the unknown. You, mm-hmm. you got to have faith in yourself, you got to have faith in the Lord and you got to surround yourself with people that know more about uh that that particular situation, you know, than you do. So, right. you know, like I, I, I've surrounded myself with people because like I've been in and out of baseball the last few years. I'd, I'd get a job. We'd win the, the, the division. And then, you know, like, uh, you know, they get rid of me for whatever reason Then I'd come home. Mm-hmm. I'm not just going to wait on them to, to Thank you. you know, you know, to give me a job. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to go out and get it like, you know, <laughs> like I was hot. Absolutely. And, uh, and, and, you know, I got Baker Family Wines, but see. My other uh, 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 interest, and when I built my home at that same time, I put solar throughout my whole, uh, 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 on my property. I got ground mounts, I got roof mounts, I got instant hot water, I got thermal, I got uh, a well that, you know, that's, uh, that's uh, you know, powered by, a, um, uh, 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 you know, by solar. Mm-hmm. I, got a, I got a pool that's heated by solar, so I was trying to, leave a, a, you know, better carbon footprint for my, you know, my family and my kids that are coming because being a hunter and a fisherman uh, since I was a kid with my dad, 
you know, I've just noticed how how the fisheries are 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 going bad. They're talking about there's no global warming. I went to Alaska last August and I saw all these glaciers melting. Look like isn't that crazy? I went there last May. It was sad. It was sad. Man, it was sad as heck. I mean, but beautiful, but 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 sad. So. You know, I'm Especially when they leave, tell you uh, where it used to be. When they say, well, yeah, it used yeah. to be right here. And, oh, yeah, then they tell you there's no global warming. And I'm like, wait a minute, I've seen global warming. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm 70 years old. I, I go to the rivers where I grew up fishing and stuff, and there's barely any fish in there. You know, mm-hmm. or I go duck hunting, there's very, you know, rarely any ducks. Or, or it's hot out here in California till till almost January. It's supposed to be raining. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's why I got so interested in and solar, uh, uh, you know, to try to leave a better world and also not to pay these high, <laughs> high energy costs. Absolutely. You know what let's, I mean? let's, let's talk about solar because it's been around forever, yeah. you know, and mm-hmm. now I, when I'm listening to you, it seems like it's an effective form of, uh, you know, paying the bills around the house by using nature's energy, nature's resources. Right. So, well, 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 it is. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, I went to a, a, a clinic. Uh, not a clinic. I went to uh, the uh, Roth conference, and I met this guy in Chicago, uh, uh, you know, a few years ago, named Ted Roth. And he goes, "Why don't you come down to our conference about solar and alternative energy?" So I went down there, and I noticed that there were very few women uh, of power there, and there were a handful of minorities out of, uh, uh, well, you know, African Americans out of probably ten thousand people. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, man, we getting left behind in 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 the uh, you know in the energy business, and we're also being left behind, you know, in the in in the tech world. And right. So um, you know, I, I I was trying to trying to take some people with me, uh, you know, to you know continue this uh, you know thing that we started, and it's very interesting. I mean, I love it. I'm not an expert at any you know by any uh, means, but I'm. I'm pretty knowledgeable on the subject after, you know, after all these years. Right. And, um, you know, I got some great partners. I got some, some great partners across the U.S. You mm-hmm. know, I got Nate Electric, I mean, uh, Net Electric uh, here in California. You right. know, that's minority mm-hmm. uh, uh, owned. Mm-hmm. You know, I got SST here in California. I got Ken Nix in Atlanta, Nix right. and Associates. I got mm-hmm. SNC mm-hmm. uh, uh, in Chicago. So I've tried to cover myself. Uh, you know, all over the country. I got salt uh, energy in Virginia and, uh, and, in Virginia. Mm-hmm. and so, you know, I don't forget to, Chicago. Uh, it's in the electric in Chicago up there. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's in Chicago. So I'm trying to cover parts of the world and uh, and also trying to make, uh, you know, make some money at the same time to support, you know, my family and the people that, you know, surround me. And, well, you know, the uh, thing I love hearing you talk about is that, you know, because I, mean, I followed you in Chicago. I, oh, Lord have mercy, followed you in Chicago. Cubs followed you to Nashville. That National. was a tough time, man. Hey, that was a tough time. Oh, I'm sorry I brought it up. I'm sorry I brought it up, Dustin. I'm sorry I brought it up. Because, you know. So That's a, okay. You learn from it. You learn from it. You learn from it. Because as an African-American, yep. you know, I'm rooting for you, brother. I root for black right. quarterbacks. I, I root for black yeah. managers, okay? And black That's head right. coaches, brother. I'm just letting you know. Mm-hmm. Because I know the opportunity to achieve 
to get that job is unique and to achieve right. the highest level of success is even more unique. And so, and but I love the fact that you said, Richard, I'm not going to just sit at home and wait for my next job. I'm going to make mm-hmm. my opportunities. Now, right. I, I, but, but, uh, before we get off of the, the family wines, how can we, before we go back to Baker, how can we get, how can we purchase, uh, gain access to these great wines? Because I got to get some for my wife. I'm going to just let you know right now. I got you. Uh, I got you, man. You sound like it. You put a little pressure on yourself early. I, I, you know I, that, I, huh? I, I, I'm gonna tell you something, man. I, you know, sometimes you do things like you, you, you. It's a foolish move. That was a foolish yeah. move because, because, like you just said, man, that's a that's a trophy case. I didn't know that. And I'm telling you something. That's right. That boot, man, was a was a life size boot, and it was three quarters <laughs> up there. And for some reason, in my stupid mind, I went, "Yeah, well, this is worthless. I just threw them away." And she came home yeah. and she saw that boot empty. She go, "Okay, where are my corks at?" I go, "Huh." I said, well, you know, baby, I, I, I felt it was just, uh, I just threw him away. Man, yeah. she, didn't even, she didn't even say nothing. She just walked out of the room. <laughs> yeah. That's even worse. They don't say that. You know what I mean? And so, so, yeah, but listen, you could, yeah, you could, you can go online uh-huh. or, or um, you know, bakerfamilywines.com. Yes, sir. Or, or, or you can email, uh, you know, the office. Mm-hmm. At B-N-B, like B-A-N-D-B, mm-hmm. wine company at gmail.com. Okay, cool. And, uh, you know. That will happen today. Okay, I'm going to surprise okay. her because of the fact that she's a big fan of you and so happy that you're now managing the Astros. I know it's one season only, but, man, the fact that you're there. But more importantly, it's Well, just, I'm it's, pretty happy, too. You, yeah. you know, I mean, I'm—, I'm you know, the Lord did this because there's Absolutely. no way that I was going to inherit a, a great team like this. And, uh, you know, uh, the only thing missing in my baseball career is a championship, which I thought my career was over. Yes, sir. You know, now there's, a, you know, there's always been, you know, you know, a certain amount of race discrimination. But now there's now there's age and salary discrimination and yes. intellectual discrimination Absolutely. where everybody mm-hmm. want to know what college you went to. Right. You know, regardless of how much knowledge or how much experience that you have so this is this gives me a, a opportunity to try to win a couple of championships i need 137 victories mm-hmm. you know to be uh you know first african-american to win 2000 come on now uh, <laughs> only 10 to 12 people so mm-hmm. uh, uh you know this is this is kind of a, a legacy you know run. a godsend yeah mm-hmm. and 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 it's a great town. Right. You know, like you said, I've been going to Houston forever and ever. And, uh, you know, my best friend, Ralph Gar, you know, on. the one we mentioned earlier, he's the one that, that you know, that's, that's in Houston. He said, Bake, I was praying for you to get that job. And, uh, and it, Speedy Ralph Gar. Speedy Ralph Gar. Turn that third running. base, brother. It was all over, so that's man. That's my boy. That's my boy right there. <laughs> you know, it's really it's really great. Let, let, I'll be remiss if I got to bring up this last business, okay? With, yes. with, you know, the, you're, you're the chairman. Along with my man uh, Robert Kubel. If you don't know Robert Kubel, that's from Cool in the Game. Cool in the Game. And uh, yep. and uh, Cool Baker Global. Tell us about that and uh, and how that how did that relationship uh, come about? Well, you know, like I went to Africa about ten or twelve years ago with uh, you know with uh, uh, some baseball delegates and also uh, you know Professor Delaware State Ezra Aharon and uh, you know Ezra started it. Uh, you know, Dave Winfield went, Reggie Smith, Omar Manaya, Wendy Lewis, uh, Ambassador Bridgewater was there, and a brother, uh, George and Tim from Ghana. So we all went to Ghana, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, I, I we came back. Uh, you know, we came back like you know, knowing that how much people 
are in need in Africa and how you know how we're falling behind, especially in the energy field. Mm-hmm. So I got a call about uh, this is ten years later. Mm-hmm. I get a call from from uh, from uh, cool cool uh, you know Robert Cool Bell, right. <laughs> cool in the gang. So I say, hey man. He goes, uh, I said, how do I know this cool in the gang? And he goes, well, Ken Griffey Sr. is my cousin. Mm-hmm. So he started singing, so fresh is so fresh. That's how I figured out <laughs> that, that that it was really him. And right. so and so we started talking. And my daughter, who does all my labels, she did the Baker Family Wine label, and she did the cool Baker Global uh, 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 logo. And so he's ex- uh, uh, traveled extensively through Africa and mm-hmm. performed extensively and so uh through ezra and cool you know we went to delaware state uh you know visited them they had the african peer review mechanism uh uh we, you know we met a bunch of african dignitaries and so we're trying to take uh you know some energy to africa in the forms of of, of solar or cogen or a combination of uh of of ways because they don't have lights you know, and if you don't have lights, how do you kids study? How do they? Right, they don't right, have computers. Right, I, mean, right. I mean, they don't have hardly nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, in that in the, uh, you know, they're currently thirty-eight of fifty-five nations in Africa are in the APRM, and uh, so this is what we're trying to do. We've installed some, you know, because of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, people aren't allowed to go, but cool is really, really hooked up there, and so. Uh, you know his combination of, uh, of of people that he know and that he don't know in Africa already, and and us being in the you know in the energy business, I mean, right. we can't do it by ourselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, we need some help, you know, which is teamwork is tough. You know, yeah, teamwork, which is tough to find. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and uh, but you know, if there's a will, there's a way, and we're going to find you know find a way to do it. I tell you, I'm, I'm on the website right now. Baker Family Wines website. I'm on it right now. You know, right going from the dugout to the vineyard. That's what I'm saying right here. <laughs> Slide on down, see the team. I see you Dustin sure Baker with the, with the cool glasses on in the vineyard. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, I'm looking at you, brother. I'm looking at you, brother. Got, the, right, got those sunglasses on. You know, they, 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 they turn dark when you walk out in the sunlight. I know what you're yeah, wearing. Yeah. I know what you're wearing. I know what you're wearing. Yeah, but see, I can't see, I can't see without my sunglasses. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But that's, that's part of your <laughs> trademark. If you walk down the street without those glasses, it's all like, who is that dude? Who is that dude? Yeah, exactly. Hey, the other day, somebody asked, hey, where's well, yeah, I got the email address, the Gmail. I see all this. This is our wines. Uh, you will begin the email from me today. I'm going to CC my wife so she know I love her. But more importantly, mm-hmm. Dusty, uh, I, I want you to bring you on the show, man, to say thank you for being you. But more importantly, tell your story a little bit outside of the baseball world. Uh, a lot of thank people, uh, New Zealand, Canada, you know, wow. Ireland, they listen to my podcast and my talk show. You say wow, I say wow too, because I don't know who listened in New Zealand, but they listened yeah. big time down there in Australia. And it's it's that worldwide effect that I wanted when That's I wonderful. when I stopped managing Steve Harvey. Just to like you see, your legacy is important, and my legacy. Nah, but man, you managed some 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 bad boys. I was looking at your resume. The <laughs> thing about it, the thing I'm really impressed with. Yes, sir. I mean, I was pretty good at math. I didn't I didn't like it because uh-huh. I couldn't BS. You got you got to be exact for a, for, yes, for a man to be a a math major. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I got I, I got mad respect for you, man. 
I appreciate you. So how did you get to do that? I mean, did you like it that much? I, well, you know, I'm going to tell you something, man. It was like I, I avoided it all my life. You know, my, I could always right. go back to high school and my and my math teacher told me I was good at it. But I went to school. I wanted to be anything else that could give me an easy grade. Okay, that was well, that's what I was. Anything that can give me an easy you grade. You got like me. Yep, yep. And, and I struggled. Uh, for, it took me seven years to graduate, but only three years care. once I got my act together. You know, it was it was four years of of trying to get get by easy, trying to get the easy courses. Talking to my friends, hey man, you oh that's an easy grade over there. Go over easy grade over there. And then I realized, you know, something man, be who people expect you to be. And I math, man. I went in there, man. I, I couldn't right. afford a, a math books, calculus book. And I would walk in that room, Dusty. I would look at the board, walk out. Cal one, Cal two, Cal three, without a math book. I, I never this, got to calculus. I was algebra, algebra two, geometry. I said, Mama, please, that's enough. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, you know something, brother? I want to thank you. I want to appreciate you for saying uh, who you are and being in Houston, boy. You're in my country now. We're going to have to see All each right, other when man. this pandemic ends. And when you come yeah. down to Atlanta, I got I got a little small fishing lake back behind me. Walk is right oh, on my property. Oh, yeah, you know, I like to fish. Yeah, and you know saying. something? You can find me. I go down to Busy Bee, pick up some food every day. You know what I mean? <laughs> I've been going there to the Busy Bee. You uh -huh. ever been to the Busy Bee? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah, I go down to Busy Bee. Oh, yeah. I go down to the Busy Bee every day, me and Ralph, since, ooh, since 1968, 69. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. All right. I'll see you there, man. All right. Be safe now. I appreciate you. My next guest, you know, every year, you know, since I started Money Making Country, he always has to make that annual interview. Annual interview. So it's year three interview number three my next guest is an award-winning producer and innovator in entertainment he currently holds roles as president and founder of cold black films and cold black digital a film production and distribution company dedicated to super serving the black community worldwide and he's also president of laugh out loud and heartbeat digital he's being honored with a cafe mocha swag award he probably didn't even know about that Something that I've gotten involved with And they said, hey, Rashawn, who do you think deserve these awards? He's a celebration of what black men are doing to Making a difference in our community He's doing that on a daily basis By empowering others to reach their life goals From civic leaders, businessmen, activists, celebrities And everyday dad, he's one of them Please welcome to Money Making Conversation My man, Cafe Award, Cafe Mocha Award Swag Award honoree, Jeff Clanagan What's up, my brother? <laughs> How you doing, Rashawn? Hey, my man, Jeff. Jeff, it's, it's, it's year three, as usual. You know, you, you keep it posted. <laughs> you know, I mean, the first year we, we came on the show was in 2017. That's when Laugh yeah. Out Loud was busting out. And also, the you was, you was about to launch the uh, the, the, the Kevin Hart uh, you know, Serious Radio Show. All that stuff was in its early stages. Give us an update on where you're at right now. I mean, we're, we're in a really good place, and that's because of what's happening in the industry. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, streaming has obviously, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot of press about, you know, people at home streaming because of COVID-19 has right. accelerated, but it was it was already on an, an on an upward trend. Yeah, unbelievable pace. Happened, <laughs> yeah, the pace is like, it's now it's like it's on fire because they, people are home and they're watching content. But what's changed since the last time we talked, which has been which has been which has been very um, beneficial for what I've been doing and for obviously uh, for a lot of other people looking to get into space is that when we talked last time when we talked about streaming the the notion was okay you got Netflix we know Disney Plus is coming we know mm -hmm. HBO Max is coming we know Hulu is coming mm -hmm. but those are all those are all subscription streaming channels and what's happened is that 
with the proliferation of these subscription channels, meaning hey, I'm paying ten dollars, I'm paying nine ninety nine to be plus twelve ninety nine, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. What happened? A whole new wave of, of a different model called ABOB, which is advertising video on man, which which merely means is like if you're watching it, you can watch it for free with a commercial. So then you saw companies like if you have a smart TV, you'll see you probably see all these apps on your TV, Pluto TV, Tubi, mm-hmm. and and Roku and Amazon Fire. Like what is all that? Mm-hmm. They are basically just streaming platforms with audiences, but you don't have to subscribe. And what ended up happening is that Pluto, which was bought by Viacom for like $400 million, and then Tubi was just originally bought by Fox TV. I started getting all these calls from Pluto and Tubi. They're like, these are inbound. I'm like, wait, what's going on here? Because I, I literally, I, my phone just started blowing up. Right. Uh, these platforms looking for content. Mm-hmm. And then I just figured, I figured out what I happened to be. It, it didn't take, you don't need a, you don't need a PhD. Look, you don't need a PhD. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm going to just stop you right now. This is Content right. King right here. Okay, this is Black <laughs> Content King. Content King, I'm talking to right now. And Jeff Klanigan. You know, way back before anybody thought about recording black people and putting them on, on VHSs, DVDs, or Blu-rays, or whatever, you were doing it. So you are Content King. So I just want to let everybody know who I'm talking to right now. Continue the story, Jeff. I, sometimes I got to okay. interject and remind people who I'm talking to here. <laughs> okay. So the story was just as you know, you know, I was the first in the game for what I call direct so with VHS and TV. I was the first mm-hmm. one. Okay. So this, this is that all over again. But here's what here's what it what when I started talking with the inbound came out, I, I pretty figured it out. Like I said, where you have all these people, these companies running all this data, but here's the principle when it comes to our people is it okay, the average household for black folks, right? Right. You probably have your Netflix subscription. Absolutely. And you pro and you probably have an Apple iTunes Ooh. or a Spotify because you're gonna listen to your music, yes, right? Yes. So you yes. got you mm-hmm. got the two. Mm-hmm. Then if you have if you got kids, you're probably gonna jump on at Disney Plus because Disney Plus also comes with ESPN and, and Hulu. Hulu. Right. So mm-hmm. now you've got now you've got three subscriptions. Yes, sir. Let's say you've got maybe <laughs> one or two other subscriptions. But then after that, when you turn on your TV, you're looking for free content. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so if if you get beyond that. four, you're living a good life. You're living a good life. You shouldn't yeah, be listening to my show. <laughs> <laughs> if you got four, you like you you like you you you're good. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is mm-hmm. these all these free AVOT platforms that are now coming embedded into the smart TVs. Are blowing up. Right. I mean, I can tell you, like right now, like so we so we just launched our our LOL. When I, you know what I'm doing, I do it strategic because I like to test to see what's going on. So I'm rolling out by the end of Beyond Every, but we launched on Pluto first because that was mm-hmm. the big one. Right. Like in our first, like I said yesterday, we had 2.7 million viewing minutes of people wow. watching shows on 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 the channel. Um, our first. 30 days, like we were over 51 million um, views on this thing. So people are, people are watching. Got you stuttering. Got you stuttering, huh, Jeff? No, they got it. Like the, the, number, the, numbers are, the numbers are crazy. But what it is is that here's what the key is. Right. Versus, versus you trying to you start a, like a standalone channel and bring everybody to you. Right. I just said, okay, I'm going to go to where I know people is at. I know they're on Roku. Yes. I know they're on Amazon. Right. I know they're in Pluto. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So you go to where there's an audience at, but what's happened on all these platforms is that black content is over indexing. 
versus versus mainstream content. On all the prefab porn, black content is just overperforming. Like like period. So that that just kind of tells you where the market is. But at the end of the day, is when you buy these new smart TVs, people are buying these TVs. You can see these apps on the TV. And Absolutely. Roku, Absolutely. And, and, I'm a, and, and I'm, that's where we're at. And that's, that's, yeah. where, LO, and that's where we're at right All you need is Wi-Fi. So it's, it's a, All you need is Wi-Fi. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's it. All you need is Wi-Fi. That's, a, that's, that's exactly where it's at. So it's, now, obviously, with COVID-19, the numbers now are just like, it's, it's really sort of, it's, it's accelerating everything. Well, you know, it's really interesting that, because that's, that is the case. Like you said, everybody got their little yeah. IG talk shows now. You, if, if, if you yeah. go at night after six o'clock, it's like about 40, 50 of them on my feed. You know, everybody got a little talk show. <laughs> you know, everybody exactly. trying to get Stephen A. Smith. Hey man, can you get Stephen A. Smith to come on my show? I don't even have to book him no more. He just, he's just, he's just, he's self booking himself now. And so, because That's people it. want that content now. But the beauty of it is that, this is what I like about it, is that you're educating people to this form, this platform. And so, because once people, when we're going to get back to normal, this summer, people will start going back to work, games will start being played, may not have fans, but there will be games played. This, And so that means that these athletes and these famous people who have all these at night podcast, uh, at night IG platforms, they're going to go away. Guess who's going to be left? LOL. LOL. Going to be left <laughs> there waiting on you. Come over here because we're here every day. And the, and that the, the I always love talking to you because you have never been a person to be uh, stymied by the direction that you were going to go and seeing the opportunity to go over there. You're quick to pivot. Why? why how? What, what? What makes that work for you like that? Do you just are you a forecaster or you you have to say visionary in some aspect? But you are not not afraid yeah. to pivot away from the original plan. Well, well, I think you know. Here's the thing: what I find in in, in entertainment. Mm-hmm. My background is, I come, I have a business background. I got into entertainment. Now I got into entertainment and learned business. So for me, I'm not, <laughs> there's a difference in the mm-hmm. mindset. So I'm not attached to any one thing. If I'm doing this and you got to go to, you got to go from A to B at like, it doesn't bother me where a lot of people will I find out, even, I gotta, you know, even a lot of business people, they get stuck in a box, and if you move, if it goes outside of the box, they have trouble adjusting. I'm right. not like I'm gonna, I'm gonna always adjust to the business model. But what happens is that with you know with technology and social media, here's what people don't understand: is that the consumer is going to drive your business model. If Absolutely. they want to listen on radio, if they want to listen. I mean, you have to go to what the consumer saying. You can no longer push your business model on the consumer because the consumer is going to tell you how they want to consume content or, or how they want to even be entertained. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to be flexible and just, you can't be so caught up because you spent nine months putting together a business plan and all of a sudden the, the, the business change, you can't get so caught up in it. You got to be able to, you got to be able to deflect and adjust. I mean, I mean, look, the first thing, the first thing I did when, when we went into quarantine, I put three animated projects in production because I like said, okay, I can't do no production. Absolutely. <laughs> I can't Absolutely. Have animators sitting at home. <laughs> so I just, I just pivoted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why I love it. But, yeah. but no, you know, here's my man, Master P days. You, you, you had to be able to pivot yeah. back then, you know, NWA days, you know, straight out of company <laughs> exactly. days. So that whole exactly. world and then the fact that you are uh, one of the visionaries behind, you know, going to comedians going, look, I can shoot your video. 
I can shoot your comedy yeah. special and we can sell these in stores. Back when stores, because remember you you had Steve Harvey and I, we used to go to like and do like uh, go to these different record stores when they were open and do signing dates for all these DVDs and all this exactly. Blu-rays or they were dropping. And so then it then they became streaming. And so when you look at all this competition and all these things that you have out there, it really is really important that when I hear you go, look, Rashawn, look. I'm frustrated just like everybody else. I didn't see the pandemic coming just like everybody else. But what I couldn't do is just sit down and go, oh, whoa, it's me. Okay, I got animators. Uh, animators got computers. They got Wi-Fi. Yeah. Let's get busy. Let's get busy. Let's go. It's just like my staff. We do Zoom Zoom meetings at 830 in the morning, and we do Zoom meetings at yeah. 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We do daily functions because I'm in the digital. I'm in the social media. I'm into podcasts. I'm into I'm like right now. I'm just gonna record my show. Somebody at their house is gonna chop this show up, and then it's gonna go into syndication on radio on my thirty radio stations, and that's how it works. But you're not allowing yourself to be frustrated by the process. And I and I say this because it's always funny when you come on my show. Jeff Clanton, because you are the, you know, you're running Kevin Hart's brand, Laugh Out Loud, the Heartbeat Digital. Mm -hmm. And this is the side of the business that is equally as powerful and equally as possible, as popular as Kevin Hart himself. And that's why it's yeah. important that people understand that, that, you know, you got to surround yourself with people who understand the business and are not frustrated by it and also have a history of success. And that's you, Jeff Clanton. That's you all, that's you all day long, my friend, all day long. <laughs> I appreciate it So explain to us You know when you realized that this was not going to be A short term stay at home Did it cause you to uh, Move some production schedules up Or rearrange your content or pull out Old content because you know Because people are watching more that means that you have To refresh a lot quicker correct That That is correct I mean that's why I think I had to make A real quick adjustment like I Had one, two, three, two, one, two, three, four. I had six productions that were about to go into production. Right. Mm -hmm. Like big production. And three of them were, were, were starring Kevin. So <laughs> what I did it was like a quick pivot. But so what I did is in my, so in my 2021 plan, I planned to boom, move into animation, like right. in a big way for my animation studios. Like, so I just, Okay, you know what? We got to put these productions on. I call these animators up who are sitting at home with their computers and internet. Mm -hmm. And we've got, I've got, I've got three series in production, meaning in getting animated right now. Cause I already have writers and stuff right now. So we, I just fast tracked. I put every pin in everything and fast track and started to focus on, um, the animation for right now right right now and so that that's the part of the platform that's working now now when i go to the platform because I'm, I'm gonna pull it up right here you know you got coley's balls season three <laughs> yeah that's cold is that for kevin hart of course and then you have you know the kevin besta the fresh episodes your favorite episodes kevin's favorites you know it's it just it's just a it's just a comedy at its finest and so so are you chopping up specials are you are you are you front loading new specials where are you coming back because you know when they did that deaf comedy jam special and people was doing comedy from their home i was like yeah that would work for me so because everything everything's been shut down you know live events been shut down yeah, so that you know exactly. doing the animators is great but you know the heart and soul of what you do is tied to audience interaction exactly now the thing about it i don't know if i haven't talked to you but the other thing I had got back into, you may not, you probably don't know because I was you know, playing the background, but I was actually producing um, 
Nick Cannon Wild Now tour, which we were oh, yes. we had on the road. Yeah, we, yes, we were yes, playing. We yes. were we were knocking out 10, 10 11, 12 thousand people. I remember that deal came down. down mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. we had to shut it down. But part of that is we were going to shoot that as a special at the end of the tour. That was the whole thing. We had cameras going during the tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had some other live stuff. So obviously I had to put a pin in that um, in terms of special. That was probably, if I had to say, if anything hit my business the hardest was that because I was really going aggressively into the live business with, with the Wild Now tour being the first one. Um, and and so like you just meant to something, what's not working on social digital is comedians trying to do stand-up comedy on, on IG. I mean, musicians can do it and they can sing, but trying to do stand-up without an audience, it just don't, people Ooh. try it, so it's just, it's not working at all. No. It's just not. No. Um, so my thing is, I've got a 10, I, I believe there's a window in going to be July, August, September, where I go back and shoot. But we don't know what's going to happen in the fall if the flu is going to come back in the winter. So I, when when we when we have this potential window, I'm gonna I'm gonna knock out a bunch of productions, um, stand up and everything, and live stuff. In terms of touring stuff, I I think that's going to be a 2021 because I just don't see it by fall letting you know 10,000 people back in absolutely the arena absolutely. Unless the league, I think the league, the NBA and the, the league are going to take the front end. They're the ones that are going to have to break the ground in terms of, okay, we can now go to an arena. We can go to a stadium. And if that, if, it, if it's safe, then, then I think you'll see the, the live touring stuff open back up. But I still think that's 21. Absolutely. Especially when, uh, uh, when California said, hey, we canceling everything. Everything. Exactly. Concerts, football, everything. Anything that has a crowd in it, we cancel it. But I, I, yeah. I do believe I've, I've been an advocate uh, of Jeff of, of saying, hey, we got to get back out there. We just got to have the uh, yeah. what are the rules to to be able to socialize? You know, you know, that's what yeah. I don't, that, that's what nobody's giving us right now. And so when I look at the programming that's being put out there and I've seen these stand ups online, I'm a stand up. When I see them online trying to do stand up at the house, I go, this is not working. Who, who is tapping these <laughs> folks on this? This, this can't work. This can't work. And when they did that, I, you know, it's a couple of people have called me, you know, we should used to do stand. Hey, 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 used to, used to, used to. And definitely not coming on on, on, on mm-hmm. your Instagram feed trying to do stand up with no crowd. OK, and so, <laughs> that ain't, I don't need that level of an embarrassment in my life. <laughs> it doesn't work. So but but you do have some great productions that you have completed is the Die Hard. With uh, you know, John Travolta yeah. and Kevin Hart. That's well, y'all, y'all know what I do. A play on this man's last name, Kevin Hart. Die Hard. Talk to us about that. In there. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you something, man. Y'all, y'all, just, y'all silly, man. Y'all, you, you, you silly. Kevin Hart silly. Y'all just silly people out there making a lot of money, man. That's all. <laughs> well, you know what's funny was about that is that we did that with Quibi. Quibi is the new streaming platform that just launched. Yes. Mm-hmm. about a month ago for, for mobile devices and it's it's telling movies. So basically, we basically shot an 80-minute narrative movie in chapters. So there's, there's 10 chapters, there's 10 eight-minute chapters. Right. Um, the the we, we finished, I think we finished it right in February, um, but the dynamic with Kevin and John was, it, it was hilarious. That was, I have to say, it's probably one of his best um, performances just because because the interaction with John really raised the level of the acting and the performance but it's 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 once again we're experimenting with 
new format, which right. is Quibi, which is direct short form. mobile. It's short form. Um, short, short form, exactly. <laughs> it was, it was, it was a great experience. It's a great. We're great, and we're, we're actually working on Die Hard Two right now. In fact, it came out so we're already <laughs> working on Die Hard Two. <laughs> now, now let's let's just explain everybody what Quibi really does. Okay, it could be like ten to fifteen minutes, and so that's what he said. Now, are they like um, Netflix where you can just uh, binge all the episodes, or they or they come out on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Well. Well, see, that's an interesting question. So, what happened when they first started? Um, it was they wanted to do it on a daily basis, a weekly basis versus binge. But I think the audience, you know, they're looking at the audience metrics and requests. I think because I'm seeing some of the shows where they're putting them all up as binge. So, once again, the audience is going to drive how they're going to release the episode. So they came out with a model, but then they're getting the audience feedback on how they want to see stuff. So I do believe they're going to put stuff out from a bin standpoint because that's that's what the audience is how they're used to watching stuff on, on a, from a streaming standpoint yeah that's really interesting because of the fact that you know uh, you know, Disney was like that when Disney, because I have Disney Plus, of course, you know, I got Disney Plus and uh, yeah. uh, 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 Mandalorian. OK, it came out every yeah, week. It came out every week. So I had to wait the next week to see the episode. And it was really smart because it was a really good series. And so yeah. so and I'm sure, pretty sure that worked for them, because guess what? Every week I was right there. Otherwise, they just had me for one one weekend and I was, yeah. I was gone. And so, but that was a really, really great series, the the Mandalorian. Of course, Netflix has started the model of binge watch, binge watching. But I think that because of Quibi's, it's a short form. It forces you to want to see the next one to keep your energy going. You know, it's like okay, that's fifteen minutes, exactly. dude. I need to see something else. Here. I got time on my hands. And so, so, exactly. so that that's why it's really great. And and when I look at Kevin and what he's done, I saw him, of course, saw him in Hobbs and Shaw. He was funny in that. And and I, this guy is a just 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 a great person, but a person who. And I, I was doing some interview, and I and I told him, I said, I, I really believe that Kevin will win an Oscar. In his career, because he really, really can act. He has a, he has mm -hmm. a, he has a. He said he's like our our version of what Robin Williams was in that era. Yeah, because Robin Williams yeah. can be very funny. He could act and be very serious. And Kevin is displaying those same qualities in his own way. I'm not saying he's Robin Williams, but he's Kevin Hart in his own way and with those qualities. But one of the qualities I really liked about you is that your ability to give back. And the last time we talked about the internship program you created at LOL and how it would provide opportunities for young people to build their resume and experience. What is the update on that program, Jeff? Well, interesting. since the last time we talked, I actually kept, so my summer intern program, which is basically intern program for social media and marketing. Uh -huh. um, usually I'll bring in like four to six students and actually we're, we're putting together our, um, our, our team for this summer. Right. But I actually, I actually kept two of them while they were at school. <laughs> okay. Okay. They, two of them were, <laughs> look, they were doing so good. So I had them do it. You couldn't them, kick them um, to the curb. You couldn't kick them to the curb. So, so, <laughs> no, no, I had to keep them going. Cause, like they were doing such a good job. They were doing such a good job. I kept two of them in school, which obviously is helping pay for their school. But they're, they, so they work for me. They do like 10 hours a week wow. from, you mm -hmm. know, from school. And so they, they stayed on and then they're coming back this summer, but they were doing so real well. They really picked up everything. Um, and I, I, I literally kept them on. So awesome. what happened is those two will help lead this new team that I'm bringing in in the summer. Right, 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 right. And now, so they'll yeah, kind of be the team leaders. Now, is there a way that, okay, you have my listeners and uh, other people, how can one can one participate or want to apply or how does this work? Yeah. Well, well, well let, me tell, let me tell you what I was, 
I was on the way to doing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we so we when we were shooting, I'll tell you the backstory. So when we finished Die Hard, we were in Atlanta. Kevin had another movie um, he was going to do, so he was going to be in Atlanta till until uh, June, right? And so we were going to shoot because we have an interview show that Kevin's doing, kind of like the Dave Letterman show called Heart to Heart. Mm-hmm. And so we were going to shoot these in Atlanta, but what I was going to do was set up a program at Spelman and Morehouse to have students work on these work on actually work on the production temple was marked like a whole curriculum because we were going to be there for three or four months. So obviously we can't do that. So I got to, I got to see something else, but I was, I was going to accelerate like, because we have a lot of productions and a lot of people in school don't get that chance to work production. So I was going to have a, a, a kind of a production internship program also. Right. Um, now, I just I don't know if we're gonna go back to Atlanta, so if we don't. We'll, I have to figure out something else to do during the summer on it. But yes, there is opportunity for other students to do to do different things. Right now, it'd be centered around social media until I figure out right. what mm-hmm. what the production strategy is gonna be. Hey Jeff, uh, you know I'm telling you something, man. Every, okay, year four. Okay, I know it's gonna be a different Jeff Clannigan story of success <laughs> and pivoting <laughs> and, uh, and and making a difference because I know that every year you've you've you know because you pitch some ideas of me participating in certain formats and so Rashawn has changed and that doesn't yeah. and, and I understand that and I relate to that and I understand that you are clearly understanding that look when I walk in this room it may be Tuesday but it may be a different Tuesday than it was last Tuesday and be prepared to make those adjustments and congratulations man as always. I'm talking to Jeff Clannon, the president and founder of Cold Black Films and Digital, Cold Black Digital. That's when I met him. Now he's the president of Laugh Out Loud and Heartbeat Digital. He's changing the game and also changing lives. Jeff, thanks for coming on my show again, man. Thanks for having me, Rashad. Appreciate it. My next guest is on the phone. On a daily basis about business and life and sports, he is the man. USA Today called him the most powerful talent in the sports business just a year ago, and he followed it up with his best year as a professional. He has reshaped sports talk and is the most socially engaged talent, sports media talent in social media today. It's really incredible. He is the face of ESPN. He is the man. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation, my man. Stephen A. Smith. What's going on, man? Stephen A. How you uh, doing? I'm doing really good, Stephen A. You know, uh, you know, I know you just finished a couple hours on first take, so the energy's up there. You know, every day you let me tell you something, Stephen A. Going into the show because you're a pretty laid back guy. You're not a you're not the guy we see on TV for two hours, correct? No, not for two. Not the guy you see on you know for two hours. I, I know how to wind down and relax and be a little mellow. I pace myself and conserve my energy for when it's time. I'm very big on that. And it's really important because of the fact that you have so much to say, but sometimes it's all about sports. And, you know, and I, you know, I often have conversations about, hey, man, I want to tell a different story about my life. And so there's rumors there's a book in the making. And why do you feel it's important that you write a book? Well, I think there's a lot of people that, you know, talk about me and they have a lot of things to say, uh, but there are a lot of things that I don't talk about on television or radio. There's a lot of things that I don't get into, uh, particularly as extensively as I would get into it uh, and and as it pertains to a a book. So, you know, people have been on me. You're one of those people that have been (laughs) all over me about writing a book for years and years and years. And so. I finally, you know, during, you know, once this coronavirus uh, kicked in and obviously the sports world and the world overall has been 
brought to a halt. Um, it's given me an opportunity to reflect, and whereas a lot of people are going through some hard times, all of us are uh, to some degree. It's an incredible adjustment that we all have to make. I also look for opportunities when they present themselves and the opportunity for, to sit down, to hunker down, and to be a bit introspective uh, and, and really, really get into what I want to say, why I want to say things mm-hmm. that I want to say, and how I want to go about saying this. this. This coronavirus situation has afforded me the opportunity to be more introspective than I've ever been. And as a result, instead of thinking about the hustle and bustle that exists in the real world, it's allowed me to step back, be a bit introverted and come out, you know, swinging right. when it's time. Right. You know, you're, you know, really the thing that I always enjoyed when I talk to you is about giving 100 percent. And you understand the role of the employer and the employee. And you always promote employees giving 100 percent to their employee. Explain to us exactly what you mean by that. Well, if you're working for somebody else, you're not winning unless your employer wins. Mm-hmm. And I understand and I've learned to understand that the hard way through trials and tribulations that I've endured in my career. You're not winning if your employer is losing. You must first ensure their success and then master how to reap the benefits from it. That's really it's really a two prong agenda that you should have. Right. You shouldn't be about the business of getting yours without getting theirs because that's not winners do. And you shouldn't be about the business of ensuring that they get theirs but ignoring yourself right. because that's not when the, what winners do either. It's the collabor- it's the collaboration of both ideas, agendas, etc. coming together that breeds true success. And even if you became an entrepreneur, it's like thinking about your bottom line without thinking about the consumer that you're looking to patronize your product. That doesn't make any sense. You can't possibly win as an entrepreneur if you're not giving the consumer what they covered. Because in the end, you're not going to have any kind of sustained success because you paid attention to your needs instead of paying attention to the needs of others. And when you learn to pay attention to the needs of others, then ultimately it breeds success because, again, you thought about something not instead of yourself, but something that extends beyond yourself, thereby ensuring the success of a multitude of people as opposed to you. So if the ultimately hit a, a pitfall, a whole bunch of folks that you initiated success for, that you benefited, not that you just benefited from, but you made sure they benefited from you. Right. You have them incentivized to uplift you and to not keep you lying down. Well, that means that basically even in the, because we always think about it, you know, uh, from an employee, 40 hours a week, I go do my time. And you're saying, hey, do your time. If you do more than your time, you give 100%, then it benefits the employer, which means that that company can sustain itself longer, which means there may be raises, maybe promotions available. But if you run, if you run and giving 50, 75%, then who is that benefit? It's not going to benefit you. That's basically what you said. And that's one of the important reasons why I always promote a career instead of a job. Because the job is doing what you have to do to sustain or elevate your quality of life, but a career is doing what you want to do, and it just so happens to do those things as well. And the reason why the career is important is because the job is when you punch in a clock. You're looking at how much time you have to dedicate to this particular task at hand, and the days are longer, and the hours are longer, and just the plight of your responsibilities are far more arduous and cumbersome as a result of that 
you can't possibly be given a full-fledged effort because you're operating devoid of enthusiasm. But when you're doing the things that you want to do, you're not paying as much attention to the clock, the time, the commitment that is required because you're enjoying what you're doing. And therefore, it becomes almost effortless. And as a result, you're not thinking about the eight hours or the nine hours right. that you have to put in. There's sometimes you might put in 60, 70 <laughs> hours a mm-hmm. week without even scratching it, without even batting an eye because you're doing something that you enjoy. And when I find people, I, you know, people can sit up there and say, okay, he's got some success and, you know, he's earned a little cash now and all of this other stuff. But I swear to you, Rashawn, the number one thing that has people envious or jealous of me and my career that I haven't counted is that they know I enjoy my work. Right. They can't say the same in a lot of situations about themselves. It's not the success I reap. It's the fact that when I've got to bust my tail and work hours upon hours a day, it doesn't seem to phase me. The sacrifices that I have to make, it doesn't seem to phase me. It's not that it's literally true where certain things will phase you. That time, I mean, you can get tired, you can get sleepy, you might be sick, whatever the case may be. But overall, by and large, I'm living a good life. It's not because of the money I make. It's because of the enjoyment that I get from earning my money first. And then obviously the money comes after. It really amazes me that, you know, when I when I look at your brand, you know, and I've watched you, we've known each other a long time. And uh, we've been both part of personal ups and downs in each other's career and supported each other in both instances. So. What makes you so popular now, Stephen A? What you know, you know, what 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 made it pop? You know, what made you explosive? And you know, you drop a video goes viral on Twitter. You know, your your likes and your followers explode on Instagram because because Instagram account you just started an Instagram account like two years ago, right? It wasn't that long ago. Yep. It's almost three million. Well, you. Well, well, first of all, you would know because you're the one that convinced me to start it. That's number one. Uh, number two, you would know a lot about my career because you were there to help me uh, when I was down and out, which is why I brought you on as my business manager, because you're somebody I can trust. Number three, um, to answer the question directly, I think people know I'm not a bullshit artist, that I mean what I say mm-hmm. and I say what I mean mm-hmm. and they know it. And, 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 and as a result, I'm trustworthy. It doesn't mean that I'm going to be right. 100% of the time, a devoid of making mistakes or anything like that. It means that people know I don't lollygag. I put forth a full fledged effort. I strive to be great at whatever I choose to do. I'm relentless in my pursuit of it. And more importantly than anything else, whatever I perceive as my truth based on the information that I have acquired, people know and trust that I'm going to give it to them. I don't let them down in that regard. Even on the rare occasions when I've been wrong, people see me say I was wrong. Right. Period. Mm -hmm. There's no excuses. This is what it is. And so when you've encountered somebody in this day and age full of BS, when you see people around here full of BS, you know, double talking, trying to take shortcuts, shortcuts and, and, and basically implement a cliff notes version of things in their life. And then you encounter somebody whose resume and whose persona tells you I'm about anything but shortcuts and I'm going to be as real and as authentic as I possibly can be. 
I think the number one ingredient to my success is that people trust me to be exactly who the hell I say I am. And they can appreciate that. That is absolutely the truth. I have not been there. You know, Stephen, I'm trying to do this interview, man, like I don't really know you. I'm trying to get some questions out there. You know, you have to tell everybody about our little business together, man. I'm just trying to keep on, you know. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not, what I'm not going to do, what I'm not going to do, and, I, and, I, and, I've always, and I've always been big about that. Listen, there are people, do you realize there are people in my business, in right. radio and in television, there are people who have, for example, radio shows. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have partners. Mm-hmm. But their name is on the radio show and not the partner. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't operate that way. Mm-hmm. I'm very, very, very big on giving people credit who deserve credit. Mm-hmm. People are shy. I was doing an interview with my colleague Dan Levitard at ESPN just last week, and I was talking about folks that, and, and Mel Kiper Jr. was on the air with me the other day, and I was talking about how. He's forgotten more football than I know. Yes, or does. Dan Levitar was one of the people that spearheaded the way for people like myself to further enter this business. And they don't want to hear stuff like that because, you know, they're humble dudes, very accomplished, but they're embarrassed to some degree by the praise. I give it to them anyway because I know I'm humble. And right. I want to make sure to remind people I didn't get here alone. And I'm not going to stay here on top because I intend to be on top for a long time. I'm not going to stay here alone. The people who help me, I'm going to carry right along with me because that's how I roll. Cool. Wendy Williams show. Uh, You taped it a couple of weeks ago. You appeared on it. And at the end of the show, I'm sure it caught you off guard. She started crying when you complimented her son. You know, did that catch you off? What, What was your reaction to that? I'm sure it was a good reaction, but it was. It caught me off. It it, 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 it cut me off guard. I really, really appreciated. Um, I really appreciated uh, what I considered to be a very authentic reaction on her part, mm-hmm. uh, because regardless of what she's gone through in her life or what she's gone through in her life at particular moment, at a particular moment, first of all, she is a great talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and number two, she has always pledged and has displayed an undying devotion to her son. I know her son is a fan of mine, mm-hmm. that he's a sports fan, um, and, and he's already, the couple of times I met him once or twice, he was incredibly kind, and, and plus he's a young kid on the come up that has a promising life ahead of him because of the life his mama has provided for him, and mm-hmm. so I just wanted to pay, you know, she was kind enough to have me on her show, and I wanted to take the opportunity to pay tribute to her um, as a mom by just showing her son some love because if you know anything about mamas, it's very, very <laughs> important to them that their children receive some love. And so mm-hmm. he deserves it. Um, he deserves it. And I wanted to make sure that I gave it to him. But I, I did not expect that reaction, but I did consider it very authentic on her part and very, very real. And, and I was honored that she had me on her show. Um, and I was honored that she was touched by, you know, my kind words towards her son. Okay, cool. Well, because Wendy Williams is a, a person that, can create controversy by the type of questions that she yep. asks, and and, yep. and and this interview was uh, was a powerful interview from the standpoint of you were allowed to be Stephen A. and she was allowed to be Wendy, and it came across as an authentic interview. That's what you always talk well, about maintaining. Well, I, I I will say this, and I'll say this: I understand her reputation, and mm-hmm. I get all of that. Uh, but you know, there's nothing wrong with saying no comment. 
There's right. nothing wrong with saying I'm not going there. Right. And if necessary, <laughs> none of your business. Right. And so and she, she didn't take me to that point, but as she took me to that point, I'm perfectly capable of saying I'm not broaching certain subjects about my personal life or anything like that. Right. I was glad that she didn't do it, mm -hmm. but if she had done it, it would not have surprised me because that's part of her show. Right. And, and, and in fairness to her, it's not like she's blindsiding you with it. That's her show. Right. That's who she is. And if, and if you come on a show, you know, it's not like folks didn't know. And a lot of times hosts get discredited and maligned for being who they are. People knew exactly what they were walking into, chose to walk into it anyway, and didn't want to blame her. I'm not down with that at all. I knew what the interview was going to be about. She was very honest and forthcoming about what the subject matter was going to be. She stayed true to that. And I respect and I appreciate rather the level of respect that she showed me. And I'm thankful for it. Cool. Now let's get into a little basketball here. The last dance is, sure. uh, is uh, out there and, um, a documentary, a documented series that was ahead. 10 part. Yeah. 10 yeah. series. Ten part rolling, series. rolling, yep. rolling. Now Shaq, did three straight championship with the Lakers, rolled mm -hmm. in on the debate, and you saying that Shaq's Lakers, that's with Kobe. Yep. Couldn't do anything with the um, Bulls and MJ and Scott. No, 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 not with the Bulls in their prime. No way on earth. They would have got destroyed. Okay, cool. Let's, let's just break that down. So you had Shaq. Who's going to hold Shaq? Well, first of all, nobody's going to hold Shaq, but Shaq was going to hold himself at the free throw line because he was shooting about 50%. <laughs> so free throws alone were one thing. You have to also take into account that Chicago had at least a three, sometimes a four-headed monster. Right. Why does that matter with the big boys? Because they had 24 fouls to give. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you could have fouled Shaq all day long and he would have just missed free throws. Kobe wasn't yet in his prime. He was a young, tremendous talent, but he hadn't really honed in his skill as a superb basketball player and the second greatest point uh, off guard in the history of basketball until later on, not before that particular moment in time. Number four, Michael Jordan uh, was not only a prolific scorer, averaging 30 a game and 33 per game in the postseason, and not even, it, you remember, Michael Jordan averaged 1.73 point shots per game in his career. So he averaged over 30 a game shooting two-pointers, right. okay? In this era, you don't see that. And then considering the road traveled to prosperity, having to toughen yourself up to go through the likes of the Detroit Pistons. If you recall, if you recall, Shaquille O'Neal got swept in the finals by Hakeem Adrian Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets. Your Houston Rockets, Kenny Smith, mm -hmm. Robert Ory, mm -hmm. Vernon Maxwell, Sam Cassell, Olajuwon, these boys. It wasn't on Chicago's level. Let's be clear about that, okay? So we, when we look at it from that perspective, and Jordan and Pippen's ability to defend, along with the other guys that just played their roles, the Lakers would not have won more than one game in a series against them. It would have been similar, very similar, to what the Detroit Pistons did to Shaq and Kobe and the Lakers in 2004. Okay, cool. Well, then let's go to the early years of Magic, Byron Scott, Michael mm -hmm. Cooper, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Yep. Right. What about that team? That would have been that would have been a far more tougher matchup because of Kareem, because there was no answer for Kareem. 
you wasn't going to send Kareem to the free throw line and he was going to miss 50% of the time. He's the lone individual, the all-time leading scorer in NBA history, and the only person in the history of basketball with one unstoppable move, which was the sky hook. There was no answer for that. That would have been problematic. Here's what I can tell you. That fast break that you saw for the Los Angeles Lakers, that would not have happened against, that would not have happened against the Bulls. Because Scottie Pippen, remember that even though Magic was younger and it wasn't 1991, in 1991, the key to that series after Chicago had lost game one to the Lakers was that Scottie Pippen picked up on Magic 94 feet. No one did that to Magic. And if you recall, part of Magic's greatness was that Magic was 6'9". So he could look over opposing point guards to run an offense and to make those phenomenal passes that he made. With Pippen in front of his face, he would not have been able to do that. Mm, 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 mm. And that's where your problem lies. So I would tell you that the Lakers would have given them more trouble with Worthy, Kareem, Magic, Cooper, Byron, Scott, and those boys. Mm, They would have given them. They they would have gave them more trouble. Mm. But I would not bet against Jordan because Jordan and Pippen's defense was so phenomenal, it would have been a problem. Cool. And that's that's really great. Now, when we look at the show First Take, you know, it was a groundbreaking show when it first came out. And now it seems to be emulated everywhere on ESPN, on Fox Sports. When Skip Bayless left the show, what were your thoughts when he left the show? And what are your thoughts now being how big the show has grown and your brand has grown and really become the phenomenal talent that you are today? I was. I had mixed emotions. Um, I was not worried about Skip's absence affecting me and what I do on the air because I don't predicate my abilities or my success on what other people are doing. I'm always prepared to carry my own load. But I had mixed emotions because on one hand, I knew the show would be on my shoulders. I would be captain of the ship. The profile would be primarily, if not exclusively, on my shoulders. And that would elevate my profile, but also elevate the level of scrutiny that came in my direction, which was fine. The flip side to it is that I was genuinely going to miss my man. Uh, Skip Bayless, I would not have been on first take if it were not for Skip Bayless. Skip Bayless asked me to do the show. He, they would never have put me on the show if Skip Bayless didn't insist that he wanted me on the show. Because at that time, I had had a falling out with ESPN over a contract dispute. I was gone for a couple of years. When I came back initially, they didn't even allow me to be on television the first year. I was strictly, I was restricted to radio. It was Skip Bayless that fought to have me on TV. And Jamie Hart with uh, the, the executive producer of the show ultimately co-signed on that. And as a result, the honchos at ESPN decided to capitulate to their wishes and bring me on the show. So I owe my presence on first take to Skip Bayless. But then also what people don't realize is that you could call it a foil or whatever the case may be. I'm a counterpuncher one minute. I can punch the next or whatever the case may be. With Skip on the show with me, I have the ability to swing for the fences because I got somebody that's in the trenches with me that does not care about what anyone has to say if he believes what he truly believes. And that's exactly how I think. There was no such thing, not show to show, not week to week or month to month, literally segment to segment. I could be the bad guy one segment. He was the bad guy another. When the show ended, we were equally loved and equally hated. And we were in it together. 
Max Kellerman is a tremendous, tremendous talent. He's smart as a whip, highly educated, Ivy League school education, the whole bit, does his homework, works, knows what he's talking about, and I like him genuinely as a person. The only issue I have with Max is that, for the purpose of the first take, is that where Skip and I don't give a damn about what anybody has to say. Max cares tremendously about what people have to say. If you don't vibe with me and you don't have the same opinion as I have or Skip have, we could give less than a damn. Right. If you don't agree with Max, Max is like, how can you not agree with me? And feels this insatiable appetite to explain to you why he's right, thinking that he can convince you. Skip and I don't care to convince you. I think that makes for an ideal mix. It's not better or worse or anything, but it's an ideal mix that I don't believe can be duplicated. And that's why he will always be my brother. We will always be tight because I would not be where I am today um, if it were not for first take. And there would have been no first take for me right. if Skip, remember, he didn't sign off on it. He pushed for it. Mm -hmm. He insisted on it. And asked me to do it. I didn't want to do it. He asked me to do it. <laughs> First take in Stephen A. Smith is all about Skip Bayless. Congratulations. Uh, Stephen A., um, Game of Thrones ended last year. Mitch, a lot of controversy. Everybody hated the ending. And uh, I didn't like the ending either. So you can put me in. Everybody hated I, I You can put me in that clip. Put me in that clip. Mm -hmm. Homeland. When, uh, you know, we talk mm -hmm. about this show a lot. Uh, Clara Danes is the star of the show. Yeah, uh, she's phenomenal. Phenomenal. Now the finale happened, and um, I'm gonna tell you this: it, it was a couple of times in the show that I almost turned it off because I was frustrated by the direction it was taking the lead character Claire. But in the mm -hmm. end, I thought it was a fantastic finale. Your thoughts? So did I. I thought the ending was phenomenal because you looked at what happened and her betrayed. I I, I know without even asking you when you wanted to change the channel. Her willingness to, you know, do that to Saul oh. and ultimately and ultimately <laughs> compromising him. You know, the thing about it is, is this. When you think about Saul and what he has done for her and what he has meant to her, for her to betray him that way, although it was to prevent a war. Right. And prevent millions of people from dying, mm -hmm. you know, and in the same breath, it still disgusted you that she would do that to him. But for it to end with her saying, with her sending him that note, letting him know, I'm spying for you now. I've replaced your asset in Russia. I thought that was a phenomenal ending. And it left room, obviously, for Homeland to come back. The end is, it's not the end after all. Wow. I, you know, some, if that was like a brilliant writer move. You know, I was like, I yeah. didn't see that coming. Um, you know, it was like you know, it was a couple episodes when he said when Saul said that you know she the he's she is the most single minded person I've ever met in my life, and right. they carry that through the final episodes when she's on a well, mission, the bigger picture. Right? Do I have a minute to give you an analogy? Absolutely, that? absolutely. The, the the ending was so profound for me, not just because of that, but because of her sitting next to her boyfriend, who was the Russian spy. <laughs> and smiling and laughing, but also the smirk that came over Saul's face at the end. And what I compare that to, if you ever remember the movie The Kingdom with Jamie Foxx, 
Mm-hmm. And in the and, and it's a phenomenal movie, and Jamie Foxx was phenomenal in it. He tells uh, the the former girl for Alias. He tells her. They said, "What did you say to her after her boyfriend had gotten killed early in the movie?" Jamie Foxx said, "I said we're going to kill them all." Yes. And then the little boy, in a little boy in the Middle East who watched his grandfather killed by Jamie Foxx and them, the, his mother asked him, "What did you say to your grand? What did your grandfather say to you?" And the grandfather, he said, the grandfather said to me, we're going to kill him. Worry not, my son. We're going to kill them all. And then it ends with the boy frowning and looking into the camera and looking mad and evil as hell, showing you that the conflict between us and the Middle East is not going anywhere. And right. his faith said it all. That was what Homeland was like last night. It was powerful. It was it was a great ending. It was a great, uh, like I said, you know me, man. I was I was looking at the show, man. I was like, I was struggling. I said, I cannot believe this, man. I cannot believe. And I hung in there, Stevie. There, hung in there, and I went, great ending, great ending. If you're a fan of the show, it it's definitely something I'm gonna watch twice, maybe three times, because it's that that great that great storytelling you can't pass up. Stephen A, thank you for coming totally on my true. show. Thank you for coming on my show. My All friend. right, my man. We talk. All later. right, my brother. Talk okay, to you later. Cool. My next guest has worked at some of the top restaurants in New York City, studied the culinary landscape and traditions of Italy, and is New York Times and is and is a New York Times bestselling cookbook author. It's that time again, everybody. Another round of Worst Cooks in America, Celebrity Edition, <laughs> premiering Sunday, May 10th, for six straight Sundays, you at 9 p.m. You can find it on the Food Network at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time and Pacific Time. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation with our trademark spiky blonde hair and pumped up personality, my girl, Ann Burrell. How you doing, Ann? Well, hi. How are you? It's so nice to talk to you. <laughs> well, great, great. Uh, Ann, I'm, I'm telling you, know, with this pandemic, I've been watching a lot of food. Okay, being cooked on the <laughs> and it's great to have you back on the show. Tell us about this new season that's coming up. You know, I know some bad cooks. Before you get started, how do they do you know how they select these bad cooks who are celebrities? Well, I think that they um they nominate themselves. Either they nominate themselves or someone they know nominates them and I always it's so funny. Whenever we do the celebrity edition, I'm like, oh, look, celebrities are just like us. They don't know how to cook either. Right. Which we know, because <laughs> so, we, we tend um, to put them on a pedestal of, of, of specially talented people like superheroes. And we realize they don't have, they have, they lack the same skills that a lot of everyday people lack. It's almost like, you're lying. That can't be true. But it really is true. Right? And you've seen it so, over and over again. Yes, I sure have. And, you know, it's so funny because I think sometimes the stakes are even higher for celebrities because they're used to having their, you know, their celebrity be the face of what America sees or, you know, the world sees. Mm-hmm. And when they get into the kitchen in our boot camp on Worth Cooks, there is no celebrity. The stove doesn't care if you're a celebrity. They don't care if you're not. The stove is the great equalizer and they're not playing a part. It's, it's, you know, it's real and it's exactly what is that person going to do at the stove? And so sometimes I think celebrities don't realize, um, exactly <laughs> how real mm-hmm. and how hard this show is. And I'm like, I don't care if I'm a fan of that celebrity. I'm still going to teach them how to cook just the same as if I would 
teach anyone else how to cook. So um, it gets, it, you know, it's really something very difficult and very hard that we ask them to do, but they come out of it the other on the other end being like, wow, I really learned so much and I will have these skills now and I really appreciate everything that I've learned here. Well, you have the this season recruits are Wells, Wells Adams, Johnny Bananas, yes. David Couille, who's a comedian, very talented comedian, by the way, and also from um, with Family Ties, Family Family Matters, right? And um, um I think it was Full House. Full House, right? good, Full House, that's right. A different show, I apologize. <laughs> A lot of kids. Family Matters was the black family. The family ties was the white right. family. <laughs> it's a lot of kids. Let me, right? let me, get, my, let me get my racial barriers to get, get game plan together here. <laughs> and uh, Bridget okay. Everett, Robert Givens, you know, famous actress, and uh, Sanja, San, Sanja or Sonya Morgan? Sonya Morgan. Sonya yeah. Morgan. And Brian, um, what, is, what is Brian's it, last name? B o s e h e and I couldn't. I want to say that publicly because I don't want to mess it up. So but, he was. He cracked me up. He was really quite somebody. Um, he was kind of like to me. He was like, you know, you know what a, a sloth looks like that moves so slow, yes, but that has yes, a big yes, smile on his face all yes. the time. He was adorable. I, re- <laughs> I really, I really enjoyed him. I actually really enjoyed everybody, and I really right. thought that like. Johnny Bananas was going to drive me insane because he, you know, he's over the top outrageous. Yes. Um, but I really, I really did appreciate him. Sonia Morgan. I mean, there's a lot going on within her. <laughs> I mean, I just, I want to know how many people are in her head with her. Right. It's right, very crowded right, there. <laughs> right. Well, you know, the thing about it is this, this is what I've learned from the show is that they really, uh, want to learn how to cook they really don't know how to cook and there is a degree of embarrassment because they don't know that they realize they are that bad because you know people can tell you you can't cook and you just go to the restaurant and buy some food but when you're on camera right. and you're and you're put under a uh, demanding schedule to produce that's like you said earlier that's when the reality hits you i really am bad but i don't want to yes. i don't really want to be this bad on film on tape <laughs> Right. I mean, it is a big fat dose of humble pie that I serve up to them. Um, and, but, you know, like it's, it's done with the best intentions. Absolutely. It's what I like to call tough love that, you know, we'll laugh about it, but I'm going to be honest with them too that, like, oh, this wasn't your best um, situation that you've done here, but um, you've also improved in this and this and this way. So, I'm honest, but also encouraging. Well, here, I'm talking to Amber Rell, Food Network's Worst Cook in America, Worst Cooks in America Celebrity Edition. It's a primetime show where Ann leads a team of hopeless celebrity cooks from around the country through, I guess, culinary boot camp then. You know, they come in there. Do you guys give them, do you help them out here, Ann? Do you let them know what they may, they may be cooking if everything just told when they get there? Nope. Uh-uh. We give them, it's everything. I mean, I, it's my mission to keep this show as real as it possibly can, can be in terms of a reality show. So they don't know what's coming ahead. They don't know what their next challenge is going to be. Um, you know, they, they, we, but in that vein, we do everything that we can to make sure that we teach them 
everything that they need to know. It's not like we try to trick them and give them stuff, you know, to, to make them look worse. Like I give them every piece of information they need to know. Um, as I, I tell them, you know, I will give you all the tools you need to use to be successful. It's up to you to pick them up and use them. Okay. So now, some people are better than that at others than others. <laughs> okay. Good. Now, the, now there, there's a payoff. The 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 most improved star left standing at the finale wins twenty five thousand dollars for the charity of their choice and bragging rights bragging rights for their for their team. And so 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 right. that's the payoff. You know, they they get through the boot camp and they get to give this twenty five thousand dollars to their charity. And so, but, but it's still entertainment. It still is a learning curve for, I, I'm going to tell you something. I, and you're, you're, I'm a big fan of yours. You have taught me many uh-huh. things as far as, uh, cause I, I'm, you know, I know how to bake now. I'm an award winning baker, but that, that cooking is, you know, you have to be on your game when you cook. And so, <laughs> and because you know, you can't, you know, you can't make any mistakes really. You got to be on point. So as a leader, as a person who's famous for a famous chef, a famous personality, what do you find the most difficult part of hosting this type of show? Well, um, I mean, you know, when people come in and they're going to be a prima donna in the kitchen, that just doesn't go well with me. They have to like, just, they're going to have to check their egos at the door. Um, and that sometimes is a little challenging for people, um, or, you know, celebrities mostly. Um, but I feel like it's, it's when I say things over and over and over again, and people still don't like listen or pay attention. (laughs) I'm like, I'm going to do everything I can to teach you, but it's going to be, it's, you know, I can only take you 50% of the way there. Right. If you're not going to bring your 50% to the table, then you're just, you're, there's not going to be any room for you left here. That's really, that's really. Because. Sorry, let, me, let, me, let me just say this about the show what I see and I enjoy about you being a host because I do see real emotion from you I, I see real passion I don't see you're real authentic on the show you know you if you don't want people to come on the show and and kind of like fluff this or play games because the fact that the reality is there are other people on the show who are serious about trying to compete for this twenty five thousand dollars and if you're going to be a prima donna why did you want to do the show anyway you know you know this is not dancing right. with the stars you know this is you know people watch the show they learn from the show i'm talking about as a as a viewer i watch and learn i learn from Bad technique. I learned, I learned from good technique. You know, this is a bad version of chop. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, but you learn. Oh, I didn't know you could do that that way. That was I, I've been doing that way too. And that was wrong as well. So I've learned to fix some problems that I've been getting away with incorrectly in the kitchen by watching your shows. <laughs> and so, so when I so when you when you do these shows, what 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 maintains that level of, of authenticity for you? And when you host these shows, because they are popular, Uh, but there's a bottom line to it, isn't it? Right. I mean, to me, I will bend over backwards to help anyone that I see really cares and that is really, really trying. You know, like they, there might be other people that it comes a little bit more naturally for, and they're kind of like, oh, withdrew it. And I'm like, all right, great, you got it. But um, if there's someone that's not doing as well as other people, but I see that they really are trying so hard and 
earnestly care about what they're doing. I will do everything I can. I will spend more time with them. Mm -hmm. I will, you know, sort of lead them through the process. I will remind them of what things they need to do. I'll even help them a tiny bit, you know, so in terms of because, you know, there's a clock on all of this also. So it's not only you're doing something you don't know how to do. Mm -hmm. Um, You're cooking in a kitchen that you don't know where everything is. Everything is new to you. And we put a timer on it. It's incredibly stressful. It really is. (laughs) But that's also what makes it so fun. And I think what also makes it so fun is that people watching at home are like, Oh God, that's a mistake I wouldn't make, but or, or I wouldn't have made. But now that I just saw that person do it, um, I won't make that mistake. That's anymore. what. That's so, me. I just told you. That's by, me. That's what I just said. I, I'm, I'm, right. I, you know, I think you, I'm an expert. It makes I, I, you I, I, sort of feel better about yourself. Absolutely. The thing about it. Two questions I want to ask the person that all the episodes you've shot, taped, and worked with. What celebrity improved the most in in in, in the kitchen under under your uh, taping the show? would you say um surprisingly i would say um and i was shocked at this myself um was um mike the situation from the jersey oh, shore right. I, I saw that ep- i saw several episodes i didn't see the final but i remember when he was on the show i would have thought that too he- he did not make it all the way to the end, mm-hmm. but he, I think he made it to like second place on the red team. And, um, I mean, the first day I saw him after the first demo, um, I just saw him screwing around and he wasn't taking notes or anything. And so when the camera stopped rolling, I think I scared him a little bit and I was like, so you're not going to take this seriously. I will put you right back on the train or whatever the bridge and tunnel that you came over with. And I will send you right back to New Jersey. If you're not going to take this seriously. Love it. And he was like, Oh my. And so then the next day he came in and he was taking notes. He was such a team player. He was so cute and sweet about it that he really did just want to learn. And he just wanted like sort of, you know, approval and he like he put his real heart and soul into it so that one i have to say really hurt me to send home <laughs> now but a person, and then i've the- had so many people so many celebrities that i've loved that i've been so pleasantly surprised right. by i mean it really is there's really so many good feelings that happen on the show well you know i enjoyed the show and I'm, I'm so happy i was able to get you back on the show to talk about it because i enjoy promoting your brand you're just a genuinely nice person i've never met you but you come across as a genuinely nice person and a passionate person now when i see passion that always compels me there's a high level of authenticity and that's what you carry you know you're more than just a spiky hair blonde lady that got a lot of energy <laughs> and you got you got more going on than that and i really appreciate you coming on my show i'm talking to ann burrell she's the star of worst cooks in america celebrity edition premiering this sunday may 10th may 10th may 10th yes at 9 p.m eastern and pacific time on Food Network and anything to say before you go Um, well I would just say there's a lot more um, (laughs) sort of trials and tribulations and fun starting this weekend on Sunday night um, which is also Mother's Day so cheers to all the mothers out there thank you and also I just want to say 
Thank you to everyone who are the people on the front lines out there, all the medical workers, mm-hmm. all the people that are working in grocery stores Thank and you. stuff and just working to kind of help things keep moving forward in this crazy time. And, we so, will get over and I hope everyone stays safe and stays healthy and stays distant. <laughs> Social distancing is the key. And thank you for coming on the show. I know you're busy. I know we're in some unusual times, but more importantly, allow me the opportunity to talk to you again because everything I say about you is very honest statements. And I will promote this as using all my assets, my social media, my fan club list, everything in my website because you deserve what you get, young lady, because you've earned it. You've earned it, Ann. Uh, well, you're very sweet. And just before I go, I would just like to say how much I really appreciated, appreciate the opening of your show to say how, you know, don't look at other people's path, make your own path that you can admire people. But I very much appreciate your words, my friend. And it's always a joy to be on your show. Okay. We talk soon. This Amber Rail, she's Food Network star. My next guest uh, is an Australian actress. She has made her mark in film and television in both Australia and Hollywood. I personally fell in love with her talents from watching her in three of my favorite movies, Pitch Black starring Vin Diesel, Man on Fire starring Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning, and the horror movie Silent Hill. She is on the show today to discuss her upcoming new movie, Dreamcatcher. Think that you can catch on right now. You can catch it right now on video on demand. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Rada Mitchell. How you doing? Hey, good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I, I'm excited. Uh, it, it's really interesting that I uh, every week I sit down with my staff and and we go over potential guests for the show. And because my show is about entrepreneurship and entertainment, and so basically, the looking at my life, I, I've been in management and corporate uh, corporate marketing and branding, and I try to bring interviews on the show that shows a different lifestyle, a different point of view, and I, I try to get them to tell their story. And your story, I I always felt was a compelling one because of the fact that you, 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 Australia, Hollywood. That's a that's a major move. That's a transition. So you had to follow your dream. You had to believe in your dream. Can you tell us about the whole aspect of wanting to be? Did you want to be a, a movie star? Did you want to be an actress all your life, Rada? Uh, I mean, as a kid, I had a few fantasies, and one of them certainly was to be a Hollywood actress. Mm-hmm. But you know. I think that's every little girl's kind of um, idea at some point in their life. Um, And then pursuing it, I think, by the time I finished high school, I kind of knew that I wanted to be an actress. I kind of wanted to just travel the world, and I wanted to be a photographer for a while. Um, National Geographic photographer. So I (laughs) wanted to keep an open mind. Do you still have that skill? Do you still have the talent? That, that desire to What's with that? The cam- you still had that skill with the camera to want to take those take photos yeah well I was studying photography in school and I was like doing really well but then I didn't get into this course that I wanted to get into and so I was a bit uh, put off by that but I um, went to Indonesia for a month and read this book An Actor Prepares Stanislavski and that sort of uh, it was kind of a serious book about you know serious acting but it got me motivated right and um when I was a little kid, I'd done a TV show. So I had an agent from this time of when I was 12 doing this TV show for six months. So I went back to this agent and I said, hi, you know, I finished school now and um, can you get me a job? So, it, was, it was that simple, uh, Robert. That you just said, hey, can you get me a job? Went back to an agent for a show that you did one time only, right? 
Well, it was a six-month show, right. yeah, mm-hmm. and it was like we were kids. But I was not really into it when I was a kid. I was a bit shy, so I wanted to just finish school. Mm-hmm. So I did. Then I wanted to tra- like travel the world and you know take a year and just see everything. And my mom was not into it. She wanted me to go to university. Right. So I ended up starting studying media and literature uh, at this university in Melbourne, and uh, sort of. Uh, doing the odd acting job that I was getting through this agent. So, you know, it got really weird because my mom decided to go to university, the same university as me. So, <laughs> so like you guys were a sitcom. The you were a sitcom, right. Mom at the same school you at, yeah. right. Mom at the same school. That was really <laughs> embarrassing. But anyway, so I started doing the night classes and sometimes I'd be acting during the day on these, on a couple of TV series and stuff. At around the time of finishing the degree, this arts degree, a film that a friend of mine, um, it was very little, like $40,000 film, and somebody's father uh, put money into it. But it was coming out of this film school in Melbourne, and it had like a young uh, director who was just finishing up her, her film school degree. And we're all, uh, a bunch of us were living in a share house, and we ended up making this film. And um, the film ended up getting sold to Fox Searchlight. Right. So. Uh, a few of us who were in the film were like invited to go to the Cannes Film Festival. Mm. So we all went. We'd never been to, I'd never been to any film festival, not even the Melbourne You went to one of the top dogs, man. I've been to Cannes. That's really nice. So there we were. Mm-hmm. So next thing we looking were in, like, you know, looking beautiful, uh, looking fabulous. Yacht. You were looking fabulous, I'm sure. Fabulous. Mm-hmm. Well, we had a great time. There was three girls and we were all like sort of starring in this movie mm-hmm. and um, and the director and, and the producer. And so I think it was Anthony LaPaglia, this Australian actor, who um, introduced me to my manager or to a manager who I think he was actually leaving. That's right. That's right. That's how you do um, it now. Okay, look, I'm about to go, but I got yeah, somebody no, else I mean, for you. Yeah, here, like. For me, it was great. So I <laughs> uh, met this manager in Cannes uh-huh. and um, I think we were there. We were there for like a week You're and funny. then I had a ticket around the world ticket. Um, so I got to go from there to London and I was invited to audition for something in London, which didn't pan out. And then I had a t- the ticket went to New York and then L.A. And then right. I had a grandmother at the time who was living in L.A. Like, never been to America, but I had a few phone numbers now from this film festival to, like, meet people in New York. So you and had then, just, you um, some numbers now. So now you can come at least call somebody, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I had some phone numbers. Um, of people that were somewhat related to the film industry and then just people who were friends of my friends from Melbourne. I stayed at this, actually, I stayed in this girl's apartment in Harlem for like a week or two in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I uh, went to LA um, and that's where I, I sort of stayed with my grandmother. Um, who was a bit sort of grumpy, but <laughs> anyway, um, and we sort of got to know each other. We didn't really know each other very right, well. Right. Um, and and then so that was sort of the trip. And then it was time to go back to Melbourne, the reality of of where I'd come from. Um, but I had from all of that just this idea. Oh, because I'd met Danny Boyle, who was one of my favorite directors. Absolutely. Um, mm. In the LA trip, and mm-hmm. there was a casting agent from from here, from L.A., who had sort of contacted the Australian agent. So there was something of an introduction to meet somebody in L.A., and that's how I met um, Danny Boyle. So then, by the time I got back to Melbourne, I realized, you know, 
everything was happening over here if I could just get back. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's frustrating, um, so right? You know, I, you know, you know, you're yeah. back, but it's not back where you need to be. You need to get back to the other back, right? Which was LA. Yeah. So mm-hmm. then I needed money. How am I going to get there? Because you know, I was like, you know, I just out of school. So I told this agent, look, I just want to do a soap because I knew that you could. There's this television soap in Melbourne called Neighbors, and it's been on for like twenty, twenty-five years or something. It just never ends. And they keep recycling characters. So I um, I got on to the show, and I had a part for like six months. So that allowed me to um, come back. And also at that point, this little film that I was telling you about was now going to go to the Sundance Film Festival. So mm. I had sort of something to come back to talk about at that right. point. And so that's sort of how it all began. But, you know. little money in your pocket, film couch. at the Sundance Festival. You looking good, feeling good. Okay. No a few I mean, people. It was all good. I, no grandma. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. just. Okay, cool. It was all a bit of an adventure, you know. Um, and most of it just sort of planned out of the suitcase. But it, I didn't really care whether it worked or didn't. I was sort of, you know, it was an adventure in any case. Well, you know, the thing um, about it is that when I hear your story, I just hear just, you know, no, you just you just trusted yourself. You wanted to follow your dreams. And a lot of people get caught up in wanting yeah. to be, okay, like your mom said, I want you to go to school. Okay, you know, yeah. like my degree is in mathematics. And I, I did that. And I'm glad it. I did mm-hmm. it, too, because mm-hmm. um, even as an actor, I think it's interesting to have a more sort of, have a broad sort of source of knowledge mm-hmm. where, you know, you can, having studied archaeology, you know, just obscure things that I studied for this degree, um, right. just gave me a certain perspective that I might not have had if I had it just focused only on acting. Right. Um, uh-huh. so, so it's good. So let's talk about um, let's talk about some things I, here about your yeah. new project here because I want to because I want to talk about a couple yeah. of my favorite movies because I see them all the time but I, I Dreamcatcher which I'm assuming is another horror movie correct it is yeah okay cool now when yeah. I saw you in Silent Hill basically you know you know you you were traveling in this town with your daughter and your another ghost like daughter appeared in front of your car your car <laughs> went into a spin and then you stopped you opened the door the, your daughter's gone your real daughter's gone. And so you you uh-huh. venture into this town called Silent Hill. So the reason I bring that up because it's basically it's basically a, a movie that's uh it's carried on your single emotion and your interaction, and that's what made yeah. it scary to me because you were, your quest was to find your daughter, but you were in an environment that you couldn't control. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, how do you get there emotionally for a role like that when you're talking about horror, you're talking about characters that don't exist? How do you get there, Rob? <laughs> uh, how do we do that? I mean, yeah, a lot of times we were acting with tennis balls. Um, <laughs> but we also had these, I mean, there were some amazing um, props, like there were some amazing monsters right. that were on set and people, yeah, there was like... I don't know if you remember the child monster in the attack scene on the fence. There was Absolutely. a woman who was very small, and she was wearing that suit. Uh, so she had a little hole in the suit to breathe through. So then they multiplied that in special effects, but there was really one of those gray children. Right. For real. And um, she, this patient woman who sat in that suit all day long for that part of the shoot. So some of it you had to imagine, and other parts of the nightmare were, you know, very much visually present. Right. Right. Um, so it was kind of a mix, um, but how to, how to get into that frame of mind, um, 
I don't know. I think well, we've all had nightmares. Well, well you know, I think just, that you, you did a good job. Relate to that. You scared me. You scared a grown Thank man you. here, okay? Because I felt sorry Thank for. Him. I, I thought they were going to snatch you up there, Ryder. You now, know what? You know what they did do. There was a technique, like right. um, to, for that act of surprise and shock. It's really uh-huh. hard to fake that, you know. Absolutely. So we like make loud noises, and we get someone on set to like. I don't think they were firing guns, but they were like smacking things together so that <laughs> we'd get a real shock. I mean, that's sort of something you do to create adrenaline quickly but it's really hard to act surprised or shocked without having something to trigger it okay now you had this this new movie Dreamcatcher. you know your your character is forced to come return with your new stepson at a remote country home right there is the da 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 you know the the scary part you know remote everything you do in scary movies rada is remote you know when you did when you did uh pitch black is remote. remote You're just a remote acting yeah. person. When you did, you know, Man on Fire, <laughs> you were in Mexico, which was a remote. You were captured in a mansion. So you're just a, a remote. Uh, I, when yeah. I saw you do Beach uh, out of water. When I yeah. When, yeah, when I saw you do the Romanoffs, when I saw the episode of Romanoffs that you were in, you know, that when you was what I think your son was a uh, was sickly and and you back was in, in Mexico City. Right, yeah. right, right. That was yeah. you, your character. There was isolated. You play those isolated roles very well, Rada. Farewell. Interesting. Yeah, I've never really thought about that. You do. But you yeah, do. maybe that's because. <laughs> Wait, but that's why, that, that's why, because I, this is my question to you. This is my question because the, the movie Dreamcatcher, which is out right now, you can catch it from Lionsgate Home Entertainment. You can catch it on video on demand. When I look at a talent like you, and because you make it real, I, I will tell you when Man on Fire, when you realize that Mark Anthony, who played your husband in the movie, was the reason your daughter. He was behind the kidnapping. That moment for me is one of my favorite moments in the movie because you win. It was that oh my God moment. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, that was an oh my God moment. You didn't care if he lived or died at that point. You know, you had been suffering the whole time for your daughter, you know, got lost in the botch, a ransom. And this fool over here had peddled off your daughter with a fake ransom demand. That moment right there, I became a fan. Okay, and then in Pitch Black, okay, uh-huh. in Pitch Black, I always wanted you to know. Here's a script where, when you get a script, you know you're gonna die in that script, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, do, yeah. how do you react when you know at the you getting a script in your hand and you play well, a great yeah, role? Sometimes there's debates about this: who's gonna die? Are they gonna die? Right, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> because because you're, you know you're gonna die. You, you, you know you're not gonna make the sequel if this is a blockbuster. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you don't want to die. In that movie, I was excited to die. I thought it was cool. Uh, in retrospect, I should have lobbied to live. <laughs> but at the time, I thought it was cool. I didn't know they were going to make more and more and more of this. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> because you know, it, was, it was so funny. It was so funny. It was, it was just so funny because I was uh when I got the you know when I, when you got confirmed for my show, I, I went home and I was just going through and then what what happened? Pitch Black was on. I go, oh, this wild. I got to see. You refresh my memory. Refresh my memory. And so and and then because yeah, I, I had forgotten that you died in the end of that movie, and the way you died because at yeah. that movie you you know you you grab Vin Diesel. Get up, soldier. Get up. You're gonna make it. You're not gonna die. You're not gonna die. You know. Get up. <laughs> You know, you're, you're, you're toughing up in the end. You have that fearless leader. And all of a sudden, you got snatched up. I went, oh, my God. I forgot she died. And so, and I, and I wanted to ask that question. Go, yeah. When you get a script and you know you're going to die, do you lobby to stick around or you just play out the role? <laughs> 
Well, it depends on the project. He <laughs> 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 don't want to come back. Right, like, right, uh, right. Kill me. Just get it over with. Uh, I love it. I yeah, love it. I mean, I think, yeah, if you think the thing has, you know, from in retrospect, if you think the thing has legs, uh, right. you don't want to die. That's Absolutely. not a good idea. No. Right. <laughs> But yeah, if you don't, you know, sometimes it's such a dramatic, it's such an, as from an acting um, perspective, right? it's great. Like it's this amazing kind of rehearsal for the inevitable that, you know, most of us are, you know, unable to even to talk about. So to like practice your own death is like an amazing experience. I know it really is. And I, and I think that's the, here's my whole thing is that, and, and, and in this interview, I just want to get across to you is that you, obviously, you know, you're very talented because you've, your, your, your acting resume says that people book you and you, you deliver, uh, you know, deliver from the romantic side to the, to the, to the grieving mom, to the scary, scary mom to the, you know, to the passionate and empowered mom to just a, a young lady who wants to make a difference in the world today. That's, that's the characters you play throughout your career. But what has always been dynamic for me watching you is that you can, you, you know how to take that isolated moment and make it relatable. And whether it's fear, uh, uh, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, uh, the unknown or uh, just the decision making process, you know, whether you're in, you know, Olympus has fallen and all that. There's just so many different projects. So when you when you, or, or what, what's your what, what what's when you go into a movie when a script is given to you, uh, is there, are there any particular goals you're trying to achieve out of that role or is just, hey, thank you for the opportunity to act in this movie and do the best job that you can do? Well, I mean, generally there's that. Yeah, I just want to show up and do was, a good was, job. Was that too deep, Rod? Um, and you know, uh, often circumstances don't, you know, aren't perfect. Like mm-hmm. I recently did a job where I yes, ma'am. read the script. I was in one side of the world reading a script on a plane, landing on set, and starting the performance. Right. You know, with no preparation time and totally jet lagged, and that's not ideal, but. In those situations, you just have to bring it the best you can. What right. you've got to accept the circumstances and not right. use them as an excuse, but right. just bring it the best you can and trust that whatever's inside of you is going to inform the performance, especially after having acted for so long. Absolutely, um, you're very talented. that? You just want to, yeah, you want to bring the best to the story, just whatever you have in of you, in you, and then also have it. It's so collaborative that you know have a vibe where everybody's bringing the best together that there's an energy of mm-hmm. excitement behind right. it well you haven't um, disappointed me you haven't disappointed me tell us about Dreamcatcher tell us about that well uh, Dreamcatcher was a movie that a friend of mine well sort of not a super close friend at the time Carrie Harris um showed to me a, a while ago and I was like hmm, yeah, interesting and then um, it, it, I said let me know when you get finance and then um, it sort of <laughs> occurred to me as this sort of <laughs> the cooking went yeah, along I like you know, it, but let me know when like, you get wow, the money it would be really be really great to do a horror movie uh, mm-hmm. again and mm-hmm. to have some sort of ownership on it and I was looking for a project like that oh, in great. any case mm-hmm. and then he came back to me and said hey we've got the, we've got the money for this and um, and we've also got Lynn Shay, who's this amazing actress and is sort of really well respected in the genre. Right. Um, so I was like, oh, great! Yeah, I could read it again. Um, and it, it's a, so it was something that we all have a small percentage of ownership in uh, as filmmakers, um, which 
was kind of a cool thing. And then um, Henry Thomas joined, who's he's the grown-up now, but he was the boy in E.T. Oh, absolutely. Really cool actor. Mm-hmm. And then we found this amazing kid. Uh, so we had this sort of small cast of characters and a location. Kerry had sort of found all these interesting places upstate New York. Um, and a friend of his, we, we shot some of the haunted house where Lynn was staying. Well, not haunted, but her workshop. And then this amazing house that we shot the... Um, the film in so it was all lined up and it was all very simple and um and that's how it began i didn't realize that there was going to be no cell phone reception upon arriving upstate we were we were as isolated in reality as the characters were in that right. we had no cell phone reception we were kind of three hours from new york but it felt it felt like forever away from New York because of this no cell phone reception. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're in this remote but beautiful um, part of the state. And to be honest, the real horror was uh, the ticks. I don't know if you know anything about ticks and Lyme disease, mm-hmm. but there's ticks. And, you know, the director got bitten by a tick. That was like the scariest day on set. Um so that was the horror, like walking in the grass, not knowing if we're going to get like bitten by a tick. Oh, I'm, um, a, I'm a country boy. So, yeah. I've been bitten by a tick. It's not fun. It's not fun. You know, you know. You've been bitten by a tick? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm a Texas boy. You didn't boy. get the Lyme disease, though, obviously. Oh, no. Or no, did you? No. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good, good. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. It's not the tick. It's just what could happen. Right. Yeah. So anyway. My friend, this I is did. really, you know, you, know, it's, you know, the thing about it, now, first of all, thank you for doing the show and uh, thank you for coming to my show, promoting it. And I just, you know, as, a, as a person who looks out and looks at a person, a talent like you over the years, because you one of those people where, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, I got, I got Netflix, I got Amazon, I got DirecTV, if, if, if all that goes out, I got Comcast, Infinity, I'm going to watch some TV. My life oh my is really God, busy. You're loaded. I'm loaded, you're I'm loaded. I'm loaded. I'm loaded. I'm loaded. So, so know that, so know that I'm always scanning through and looking at familiar faces and I look at a talent like yours and I realize that, you know, your body of work is tremendous and it's diverse. And so I just pointed out three movies that I like. I'm just telling my listeners here, but your body of work is outstanding, yeah. and and every time you, you don't disappoint, and you, you, when you, when they say action, you're there and you're delivering on the big on the, in a big way, and the fact that you're now stepping into an ownership portion of a project called Dreamcatcher, which is Lionsgate Home Entertainment, you can go right now online and watch it. You know, we're in the middle of the pandemic, everybody's watching TV, everybody's downloading things. This should be one of the movies you should be downloading right now, correct? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Apparently, a lot of people are downloading. I'm not sure of the stats, but like it's it's doing quite well, which was, you know, great for everybody involved. And it's actually really kind of gratifying to be able to contribute in this moment. Like it feels like you know we're all stuck in our houses. Mm-hmm. We're all kind of freaking out mm-hmm. on some level. I mean, we've been through. I mean, for me, it's like moments of anxiety, and then it's okay, and then it's like you know just not knowing what's going on. Right. So it's nice to be able to give something new to people in that time you know a new a new story you know something fun something not super serious um just to kind of contribute during this period well my friend uh, you contributed on my show and i uh, thank you uh we're gonna edit out that little uh, little moment with the doorbell that's going to be removed and uh, we're going to promote this heavily <laughs> on my brand uh, my social media followers my fan club my podcast my syndicated radio my you i'm gonna give oh, you 100 wow. percent support here rada you're getting it, Rada Mitchell. Well, thank you very much. From we Australia. From okay. Australia. Who came right, over here and lived with her grandmother. 
Okay. <laughs> Be, Be safe Thank now. You. Thank Bye. you. Hi, this is Rashad McDonald. If you want to hear more Money Making Conversations, go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashad McDonald. I'm your host. Who?